During the, the wicked compromise reign of King Ahab uh, and his uh, wonderful wife Jezebel, what a couple that was, um, God raised up one, one man uh, to call the kingdom to task. Just one man. Uh, he's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. Maybe one day we'll study him in a biographical study. His name was Elijah. Uh, Elijah the Tishbite uh, was his name. Um, how did he, a lone godly man, seek to awaken a completely godless ten-tribe nation? I mean, how did he do it? Uh, he did it with one weapon. He prayed. That's what he did. Um, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and we'll eventually get to 1 John, um, in uh, 1 Kings 17, uh, Elijah boldly uh, appears before the, the, uh, the king's throne, uh, and he has one message for him. He's, he tells him, you might have great armament, weaponry, fortifications, etc., uh, but you have left the Lord your God, and God is going to judge you with a drought to get your attention. Uh, and God had told uh, Elijah that a drought was coming uh, and that when Elijah prayed, the drought would commence. And so it's exactly what happened. Elijah believed the word of God and he prayed and a drought started. Uh, the last thing you want uh, in Israel is a drought uh, because there's not much water there. And so a drought came. And according to 1 Kings 17, 1 and 2 and James 5, 17, that drought lasted three long years and six months. And it only ended when Elijah prayed. And he prayed for it to stop, and then it began to rain. Um, you have to ask yourself, uh, did, did that great drought that started when the man said it was going to happen and end when God allowed that man's prayer to be answered, did it change the heart of King Ahab? Did he become a wonderful believer and worship the Lord? Uh, no, didn't get his, it didn't get through to him. Uh, did it convert his wife Jezebel? Uh, no, she remained who she was until she died. Uh, but one thing was for sure, they both had a had a healthy fear of a praying man, of a godly man who prayed. Because when he prayed, things happened. So great was his prayer life. When you get to the New Testament book of James, uh, James makes this statement uh, in James chapter 5 concerning Elijah. He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The effective prayer of how many righteous men? This one. I tend to think, and it's a whole other sermon series, but I, I tend to think that Christians think the more of us that pray about a given thing, there's more power. Not so to God. God just needs one man sold out to him who has great faith and comes before his throne praying with great faith. And that faith matches the will of God and God acts in a powerful way. One man. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Can you look at your life as I've thought about it this week uh, and, and pinpointed things I've asked God for uh, and I've seen God do. I mean, and if you have walked with him for quite a while, you know, you can pick out these points in your life that were, wow, that, that, that prayer was answered in a profound fashion that was statistically impossible for it to occur like it did. I mean, you could probably go around the room today and go, oh yeah, I remember 72, 1975, whatever, if you were alive back then. Uh, remember before electricity? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if you look back, because I'm going to share some things in my own life today, it's just things that I, I, I've prayed and God, God answered them. Uh, and some of them I, that I'm going to share today, uh, you've heard before, but God has to get the glory in the great things that he has done. And you can't forget those things. Remember Israel, when the water would part on the Jordan River, the first thing God had him do was stack stones there. Why? Well, the next time your children have a question about God and his greatness, just march them down to the riverbank and tell them to consider these stones that we stacked here to remember the fact that God parted the waters of the Jordan at, at, at high tide. 
You know, remember the greatness of God. So it, it, it's good for us to remember the things of God. So what things have God done in your life because you prayed bold things? So in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 and following, uh, we've been talking about solid faith, great faith. What, when you have great faith, because the faith of this, these churches in Asia Minor were uh, shaken by the false teachers that had infiltrated the churches and brought in their false Gnostic doctrine and messed up the faith of many Christians. And so he's been spending time in this book telling them how to get back to an intimate walk with Jesus, how to have great faith. And so as we've looked at great faith, he's, he's given us one concept so far about solid faith in Jesus and tells us if you have a great solid faith in Jesus, not a shaky faith. Some Christians don't have solid faith. They have a shaky faith. He says, well, one of the advantages in verses 6 to 13 to review, since it's been two weeks ago, uh, what were we talking about? Well, we were talking about solid faith leads to peace and performance. What does that mean? Well, in verses 6 to 13, he's talking there, as we covered, that if you uh, have a, 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 a total understanding, comprehension of what Jesus has done for you, he saved your soul, he's washed your soul clean, he's made you a child of God, you have that inner peace. So that no matter what happens in your life, you just know at the core of it, God's with me. And that leads to performance, because if you have a peace with Jesus, then you're going to lead, lead a life that looks like you got peace with Jesus. It's going to change how you live. Uh, in addition to that, when you get to verses 14 to 15, he's going to add another concept. He's going to tell us that solid faith uh, leads to power in prayer. The effectual prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, accomplishes much. It's that, it's that motif. He's going to talk about that. Uh, I don't know how you feel about uh, uh, the Fast and Furious movies? Have you watched them? Anyone? Yeah. I don't watch shows. I'm a Christian. Uh, well, I do. And, I, and there's theological content in them if you pay attention. Uh, and so if, if the Fast and Furious, and I'm not into street racing. Don't freak out. The pastor's into street racing. I, some of you are. I've seen you pass me. Uh, but, and you never even look to the right or the left to see that it was me that you passed. But uh, I always see your FGL sticker on the back, you know, follow God's lead. But, but anyway, um, so in the Fast and Furious shows, uh, the street racing, all these, you know, bad cars and who can drive the fastest and the craziest, all that kind of stuff. Um, there was one thing I, because I, I went through and looked at uh, several of the movies this week, and there's one thing that kind of is a thread through them, uh, and it's the word nos, N-O-S. It's not a Greek word. And, and it's not a Hebrew word. It's nos. What is nos? Nitrous oxide. Uh, because when they're, when they're street racing, there's a little button on the steering wheel. And if you hit that little red button, it kicks in the nos, the nitrous oxide shot into the system of your car. When you do that at the right time, uh, if you think your sports car was fast then, once the nox, nos hits, hits the engine, what happens? Super speed. Now, I don't know. Some of you are thinking, man, I need that as I drive it at the Pentagon. You know, uh, yeah, I just hit that little button and I go from zero to 60. And then I go from 60 to 120. Uh, amazing. Uh, what has that got to do with prayer? Remember I told you you can watch these movies and come up with theological concepts? Well, I, when I look at NOS shot into the system, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of like bold faith. Bold faith is like NOS shot into your spiritual system that sends you flying for God doing great things. You know what I'm saying? We have one Christian here. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. A amen. Yeah. Th thank you. Um, look, no, how so? Well, so what is your prayer life like? You know, is it just, you know, I'm just, I'm just cruising to glory. Nothing too major happening in my prayer life. Or is it, I had a NOS moment. Because I've had NOS moment. It's like, oh yeah, I want to see that again. Well, how do you have that NOS moment? So let's talk about it. First John 5, 14. What does John say? 
He says, and this is the confidence which we as Christians have before him, Jesus. What's the confidence? Well, it's a conditional clause. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have a request which we have asked from him. That's all we're going to talk about today. Because there's a ton of stuff there. I mean, think about this. He says that we as Christians can have confidence uh, before God's throne. The, the word for confidence is boldness. That you can walk before the throne of God Almighty, as scary as that might be the first time you do it. You're walking across the glassy floor. You can see through it. It's translucent. I mean, the, the rainbow around his throne, the lightning, the smoke. I mean, puts Oz to shame. The little dude, you know, you see behind the curtain, it's like, oh, that's what, that's Oz. No, that's not scary. I mean, you're walking in the throne of God Almighty, the Shekinah glory, the angels chanting, holy, holy, holy. And he says, if you walk into his throne room, you can have what? Confidence, boldness to come in there and talk to him. That's amazing. And by the way, how is it that you get the privilege to walk in there anyway? We, you know, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. Some angel comes up to you and says, hey, where are you going? Why are you walking here? Because the blood of Jesus covers me. I'm a child of God. I can walk right up to the throne and talk to the father and give him my request. Do you have confidence when you pray? Do you have boldness when you pray? Uh, that, that's what he's talking about here. He's saying we have confidence before him, when we approach him. I mean, who are you approaching? You're talking about the God who created the cosmos with a word. You're approaching uh, the, the God uh, who healed the centurion's paralyzed servant with a word. You're approaching the God who walked on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm. I'm not, we're not talking in the shallow end. We're talking in a deep part of the sea. You're talking about the God who with a word, he could raise his friend Lazarus from the grave. It was more than a word. Lazarus come forth. Three words. We must learn to count our words, must we not? Um, so <laughs> Lazarus came out of the grave. Had he not said Lazarus come forth and he would have said just come forth, what would have happened? There would have been a problem. Everyone in the graveyard would have come. Uh, so he, he has great power. So when you come before him, you can have confidence that I'm going before that God who covers my sin and allows me as a child of God to stand here and have a conversation with him. And it says, he's not so busy. He won't hear you. He hears you. If he hears you, he stands ready to act. But there's one caveat. What's the caveat? Did you read it? You must pray according to your will. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. He said, you must pray according to his will. You pray according to his will, he will hear you. Well, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that. Uh, Pastor Charles Swindoll uh, says this about prayer. This is very important, uh, so come with me. He says, not that you can go anywhere, but just hold tight. <laughs> prayer is not wishful thinking, hoping against hope, dreaming big, or desiring to fulfill the longing of the flesh. Uh, God, God's not a heavenly genie who operates at our beck and call, and prayer isn't the Christian's method of rubbing the lamp to get God's attention. We must never fall into the unspiritual and dangerous trap of regarding prayer as a convenient method of imposing our will on God's will. Rather, prayer is the means, this is so important, prayer is the means, he says, of submitting our will to his will. Did you hear me? What's prayer about? God. God. It's not about God submitting his will to our will. It's about our will being submitted to his will. So when you pray, what should be a component of your prayer? God, what is your will? I mean, think of the Lord in the, in the garden when he's betrayed by Judas. Uh, he's struggling uh, with what's going to happen, the crucifixion. 
Uh, and we know in Matthew 26, uh, the conversation, verse 39, uh, the, the Lord, as he's praying, says, my father, in his humanness, he prays, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In my humanness, I know what crucifixion is going to mean. I, I know the horror of that. If it's possible in your redemptive plan for me not to go to the cross, uh, could I get a pass on this one? And then he added, you, well, you know what he added. What he added? Well, not as I will, but as you will. You pray like that? that that's powerful prayer. Uh, Father, this is what I, I'm thinking about, but, but it's not about my will, it's about your will. I would say if Jesus prayed that way, we must pray that way. Because praying according to the will of God is what prayer is about, for you to understand the will of God. Which leads to a logical hermeneutical question. What is the will of God? Uh, you could do an entire you know, month-long series on this, what is the will of God when it comes to prayer. So I'm, just gonna, I'm only going to touch on a few things. Telling you, if you pray these things according to the will of God, He will answer these things specifically. There's other things that you pray about that we don't know the exact will on those things. Like if you're praying about a house that you want to move into or whatever, like, that's a whole other thing. Because I don't see anywhere in the scripture where God tells you it's His will for you to have this four-bedroom, three-car garage. He didn't say that, right? But there are specific things He says, these, this is my will, which means... If you pray according to the will of these things that are specified, he's going to hear and he's going to act. Well, what might those be? This is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. I'll give you a couple of them. Number one, God's will is for us to be devoted to prayer life when we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. Do you hear me? When you're in a spiritual battle, it's when you really get into prayer big time. How do we know that? Well, because Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, let's go back to him. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples, and he calls his core of disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, off to the side. Uh, and he tells them in Matthew 26, verses 41, that he wants those three men specifically to keep watch and to be in prayer. Why? Because he's battling sin and Satan that night in the garden. He needs his three core men to stand there with him and be awake and pray. What'd they do? They did what we usually do in the middle of the night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I got to get some sleep. I can't function the next day. And so they went, they went to sleep. And he continued to pray, you know, Father, you let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will. And he went to go check on him. And when he went to go check on him, even though he castigates them, because he does in Matthew 26, uh, uh, 40, he comes to them. He said, could you men not keep watch for an hour, one hour? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour with me? You would think, Lord, if I was there with you in the Garden of Eden, knowing what was going on, you could count on me. I would have been wide awake. His best man went to sleep. Uh, they didn't pray for themselves. At the time of great spiritual battle, they did not pray for themselves. And what happened? Well, the shepherd was arrested on false charges. And then what'd they do? They ran in all directions. Down to Peter actually tells the people around him three times when asked. I don't even know the man. He lied. You got to stop and ask yourself, at that time of great spiritual battle, had those men prayed for themselves, I think the next day would have been a little different. They didn't pray. You have to stop and ask yourself, am I in a spiritual battle? Am I in a spiritual battle? And am I praying about it? And I'm not talking about, I prayed for five minutes about it today. I'm talking about Jesus was up all night praying about it. You ever stayed up late to pray? It's that struggle 
where you're dealing with the devil and sin and what's going on, and you're so intense in prayer, you, you, you forgot about praying for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. The time just got away from you because you are wrestling with God in prayer. It is his will for you to pray when you have a difficult thing going on in your life. That, that's his will. Do you fulfill his will? Because he gives you strength in those times when you pray like that. And you might not have strength because you haven't spent time in prayer. So what should you be doing? Uh, well, what's the old song say? We need to have a little talk with Jesus. We need to tell him about our troubles. Why? Because he'll listen and he'll strengthen you for what you're going through. That's his will. What else is God's will? If you pray according to God's will. Well, God's will sometimes calls for hard times, not easy times. I can tell you how we typically want things. I want easy things. What's God looking down from heaven going, well, not all the time. In fact, when you become a Christian, it's not so your life can be easier. Usually it's harder. And so God says, no, I use the hard things to hone the soul. And so God's will is sometimes to send hard things to your life. How do I know that? Well, I've walked with Christ since 1967. I know from what he's done to me. The greater things in life I've learned through hard things, not easy things. And I learned that from reading the Bible. Uh, Paul, think of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this about his thorn in the flesh. His thorn in the flesh was probably malaria that he had a, a contracted in Pamphylia, uh, Asia Minor, uh, on his first missionary journey. It eventually affected his eyesight. He was going blind. Uh, when he writes Galatians, he writes it without an amanuensis, a, a scribe. He writes it in his own hand. And at the end of Galatians, he says, look at with what big letters I write, because he can't see. And so when he talks about his thorn in the flesh, imagine a great man like Paul is losing his eyesight. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God had given to him, for this reason, what were the purposes of the revelations? Well, to give him insight into spiritual things, but to keep me from exalting myself or being more prideful, he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. He said, why did God send this malady to me, this physical malady? Because God had so gifted me, my gifting when I got converted could lead absolutely to pride. So how did God keep my pride in check? He gave me a thorn in the flesh to shape and hone my inner man. And he said, to me, he said concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that, he, that it might depart from me. God said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For power is perfected in weakness. It says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He is a godly man. See, we, we, sometimes we want the adversity to be gone. And sometimes God says, no, I put that adversity there to hone your soul. And it's, it's making you into my likeness. I'm more concerned about that than anything. You got anything going on in your life this week? Adversity? Uh, you must... In, in, wrap your arms around that adversity and say, God, you are sovereign and providential. You have sent this to me. May I learn from this and may it condition me to be more like you. Now, does that mean that you cannot approach God and, and ask for healing when adversity happens like a malady? Is it, is it okay to pray for healing? Sure. Yeah. Uh, James chapter five says this, James five fourteen. Is anyone, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the offered in the faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they're going to be forgiven him. I don't even know how many times that your elder council here has done this. Because people ask us, would you pray for me? 
Yes, absolutely. And we've done it in lots of, kinds of different kinds of venues. You, you know, the person sits down, we anoint them with oil. I have a little flask with special oil. We anoint them. Um, and then we lay our hands on them and we pray them as we're, as we're commanded to do as, as the spiritual leaders of the church. What are we praying for? Well, we're praying for God if it's His will for Him to heal. I've seen God do it. I've seen God not do it. But I've seen God do it if it was His will in a profound way. There was a lady in my last church, her name was Lydia Grout. Uh, she was around 80 years old. Uh, she went to the, having headaches, went to the doctor, went to a brain surgeon, did a scan. She had a huge uh, aneurysm on her brain. It was, was going to blow. And so she, the doctor told her, have your pastor come over, give you last rites. Uh, you're going to die instantly. And so we went over to her house on a Sunday night. Me and the chairman of the elder council uh, talked with her. She made a tape for her children to listen to on a cassette. Remember cassettes? She spoke into the microphone. We prayed for her. We did communion with her. Uh, we anointed her with oil. We laid hands on her and prayed for her. If it would be the will of God, spare this old woman, Lydia. Be merciful unto her if it's your will. Uh, she went to the brain surgeon the next day. Uh, no aneurysm. No aneurysm. And then her question was, why did God heal an old woman? That was her next question. We always have more questions. <laughs> you know, you're thankful for what God did. And then it's like, well, why am I here? And so then she went on to live like another seven, eight years. And she didn't die from an aneurysm. I've seen God do things like that. And I've seen God withhold that. But, he, but his will is always what is important. And we must pray concerning that. Because God uses hardness to shape us. Um, Here's some quotes from uh, great saints from the past. H.W. Beecher says this. We are always in the forge or on the anvil. By trials, God is shaping us for higher things. Is that not the truth? Uh, Samuel Rutherford said, Whenever I find myself in the cellar of affliction, I always look around for the wine. <laughs> and don't think he's talking about real wine. Um, he's, he's just talking about in hardness, God's always got something good there. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, great pastor from the 1800s, no faith is so precious as that which lives in triumphs in adversity. Isn't that the truth? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent much of his life in a, a Russian gulag uh, because he was conservative Christian and they didn't like what he wrote about. Um, so they silenced him, by, or they tried to, by putting him in a, a prison. He says, bless you, after he got out of the prison, he said, bless you prison for having been in my life. He says, the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but in the development of the soul. Those are words worth memorizing. He got it. He got it. Uh, in your adverse time, are you embracing it saying, God, this is your sovereign will. And if it be your will, heal me. But if it not be your will, help me to walk before you like Paul did. Uh, what is God's will? To pray? Uh, well, God's will is for you to live a holy life and gain mastery and victory over your old man. That's his will. How do I know that? Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. He actually says it's his will. For this is what he's going to talk about, the will of God. What is God's will? He, he's going to tell you in the next two words. What is it? Your sanctification. Your sanctification or your holiness. That's his will. What is it? Well, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, pornea, which means any kind of sexual sin outside of marriage between a man, a real man, and a real woman. Anything, I have to throw that in because our culture is so messed up. But anything outside holy matrimony between a man and a woman is evil and sin. It's perversion. And he says, uh, abstain from this, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful fashion, 
like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, like in sexual impurity, but sanctification. You have to stop and ask yourself, when I pray for myself, am I praying for God's will to be done in my sexual life? That it's pure. Because if you're a man and you're flirting with someone who's not your wife, this is impure. This is sin. And that is not God's will for you to do that. And so you would repent and move away from that. And God's going to answer that prayer every time. If you are a person that struggles with your, your sex and your gender, you're dysphoric, you don't need medication. You need the doctor. And who's the doctor? Jesus. He's the surgeon. And you need to go to him and say, Lord, I, I, I'm having issues. And I don't know what to do. I'm confused. And you go to him and he said, it is his will to keep you holy and sanctified as his child. You go to him and he will answer that prayer to help you. Whatever your situation is, if you're a young person who's doing more with your body than you should with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, but you want to be holy and you're having a hard time because your lustful passions, you don't think he's going to hear you when you say, God, help me. Yeah, he's going to help you. Why? Because it's his will. It's his will. Are you praying for his will to be done? in those areas of your life to give you victory over your old sinful self. Uh, God's will is for you to grow in spiritual wisdom and, and, and so that you could have a wise life. How do I know? Because he tells you in James, we pray this all the time in elder council meetings. We prayed it yesterday morning when we met for four hours. What does he say? James, if any of you lacks wisdom, fret and be freaked out. It's over for you. Is that what he says? If any of you. So if you're a 10-year-old and you know Jesus, does that apply to you? Mm-hmm. How about if you're 95? Mm-hmm. If any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Let him ask God. What's he going to do? He's going to think about it. He's going to help. No. He, ask God who gives to all men. Oh, he's so stingy. No, generously, without reproach, and it will be given unto him. The will of God is for you to live a wise life. Isn't, did you know this? He wants you to live a wise life. So if you're thinking, about, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about myself. This is just fictitious. I'm single. I'm dating. Not me personally. Okay. <laughs> single, I'm dating, you know, and I'm on eHarmony. I'm checking out, you know, trying to find a match and, you know, I'm going to meet this girl, blah, blah, blah. You know, so what should I be praying? God, if it is your will for me to marry so-and-so or to date so-and-so, I need wisdom. Help me to see what I need to see. Help her to hear from me what she needs to hear. I mean, may I be wise in my dating life? God going to hear that? Yeah. He's going to give you wisdom. Uh, God, should I move to D.C. or not move to D.C.? <laughs> Takes wisdom, doesn't it? Lord, my children are in the, in the public school system, and they're teaching all kinds of radical ideologies that are contrary to the Word of God. Uh, what should I do? Should I leave my children in the school system so they can be salt and light? What's that going to mean if I leave them there? Uh, should I take them out? I need wisdom. I don't have money for a private school. I don't know if I can educate them at home. I don't know. I need wisdom. You think if you as a mom or dad cry out to God, he's going to go, hey, hold it on that one. I'll answer that one in about 10 years. I need wisdom now. What's he say? I'm going to give it to you. What? Generously. He's going to give it to you generously. Uh, when's the last time you asked God for wisdom? I ask God for wisdom all the time because I need it. Knowledge is one thing. Knowing how to apply knowledge is a whole other thing. Uh, lastly, God will, uh, God's will is for you to pray with faith and his ability to do great things. Did you know that? He wants you to pray with great faith. Because who are you praying for? You're praying to God who has great power. Notice what uh, we read in the New Testament from Jesus. Matthew 21, 22. What does Jesus say? And, and all things that you ask in prayer, believing in you, you shall receive. 
Really? Uh, John chapter 14. Uh, here's what Jesus says to the disciples before he's crucified on the, uh, the final supper. Whatever you ask in my name, that, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. You got to think about this. Does he really mean what he said there? Anything? I mean, if I go out here and go, Lord, I don't like my Volvo, I'm on a Corvette. What do you say? Probably not. If I, if I pull in the parking lot in a brand new uh, 2022 Corvette, you're thinking, I tithe too much. <laughs> you know, it's like, that, that's not God's will for my life. I might like them, but I'm not going to go pray at a Chevy lot for one. Stand there on the, Lord, anoint me. No, no, no. That would be totally materialistic, wouldn't it? So when you think about this, I mean, he's not saying anything. You know, he's not telling you anything. Why? Why do I say not anything? Well, he said anything because Scripture has to match Scripture, right? So I have to hear what Jesus said and know that even he prayed for the Father's will in the Garden of Eden. I'm not in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that means when I pray, my prayer for anything must match what James says or John says when he says, it must be according to your will. It always has to be according to his will. You can't outfox the sovereignty and knowledge of God. So when you pray, pray for those things and, and say to the Lord, I have great faith you can do this because of who you are, but may it be according to your will what it is I'm praying for great faith with. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of illustrations of that kind of prayer. Uh, I told you this before years ago, and, I, and I've only ever told you this and because it, it's kind of a personal thing but when i look back at my life like things that answered that god did for me when i prayed with bold faith happened to match his will and god did it in a profound way uh, i was the kid that they always made fun of for being stupid i was the dumb kid mocked made fun of by students and teachers i know what it's like to be treated like that i have a huge place in my heart for people that are bullied like that because i remember what it was like when they made fun of me when I couldn't read, I couldn't do math, all that stuff. And so in 1967, my parents moved, and my dad got us a house in a nicer part of town, and went to a new school. And so I was in this new school, and the lady, the teacher, I'll never forget her name. Her name was Mrs. Tippett, T-I-P-P-I-T. -P -P -I -T. She said, you can spell my name forward and backwards, and you can. And when I was a new student there, I'm scared to death. I don't know any students. I don't know anybody. I'm scared to death at this new school. Uh, and she called me one day in front of the class and said, come up to the board. I want you to write something on, in chalk. I said, okay. And uh, she said, write the word surprise on the board. So I <laughs> wrote surprise on the board and, and, uh, and I put the chalk down in the tray. And, and uh, she said, uh, uh, that's incorrect. She said, it says here in your uh, notes from your teacher at your last school that you can't spell. This is true. This is a, a fact that you can't. You can sit down now. That's what she did to me. I never forgot that. And I still have a problem when I look at the word surprise. <laughs> I'm serious. That was in 1967. Uh, that 66 to 67. But then that in 67, that summer I got saved. I became a Christian. Uh, like the fifth verse of Just As I Am. I went down the aisle and Pastor Lynn wrapped his big arms around me. He was a Navy captain, uh, a chaplain. And he said, welcome to the family of God, Marty. That was an amazing day. That was September the 6th. The next day was uh, Monday, first day of school. Fourth grade, I sat in class and I asked God this one thing. 
because I'd been pulled out of class at, in the third grade to test me to see if I was really mentally all there. I remember I'm the only person pulled out of class, testing my hearing, testing my, I'm like, why are they testing me and no one else? Now I know why they were testing me. So when I got to fourth grade, I, as a new Christian, I sat in class and this is what I prayed. Dear Lord, you know I have struggled uh, since I started school with academics. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not smart. Uh, could you give me a new brain? That, I, I would like one of those. And he did. I mean, he, an, he answered my prayer. Now, it wasn't instantly I became good with academics, but that was my first semester to make an A in fourth grade. By sixth grade, I had straight A's. I always knew where the A came from. Where'd it come from? God. Where did being able to spell in other languages surprise in other languages? Where'd that come from? Not me. I know where it came from. It was a gift from God. And if I ever abused the gift, I'm always, you know, he would take it from me. Because I, as a child, asked him in bold faith, God, I just want that from you. My bold ask matched his will for my academic life, and God said, I'll grant that answer. And he did. I'll never forget that. You have a prayer like that, where God did something off the grid? Something off the grid? You'll never forget it? And you don't take any credit for it because you know he did it? Something miraculous in your life? I close with a story. There was a, a Navy captain, a, a sailor. He was a Christian man in the 1800s. He got on a ship that he was commanding, took it to sea. And while he was at sea, uh, he, he wrote a prayer. And he put it in an envelope, and he put it in a chest in his uh, quarters. Uh, he died at sea. He never made it home. When he got back, when the ship got back to the dock, uh, they gave his wife his belongings and gave them his oak chest that was in his captain's quarters. Uh, she never opened that chest. She gave the chest to her son. And she said, when you're 16, open this and see what was in your dad's chest. Son never opened it. Went on to join the military, led a godless life, drinking and carousing and stuff. Uh, when he was 54 years old, living with a woman in sin, that old chest was sitting there in his house and he thought, you know, I never did open that thing. And so he opened that old chest and he dug through it and saw all of his dad's belongings. And at the very bottom of the chest was a piece of paper wrapped with a red ribbon. And he undid the red ribbon and he opened it. And it was his dad's final prayer for his son who had not yet been born when he had, his son had gone, when his dad had gone to sea. And the prayer was this, Lord, may my wife and my son always be the kind of people that love you and walk with you. He folded the letter back up and he told his living girlfriend, man, I, I, I'm not doing that. And I will never read that letter again. The spirit of God had put the hook in him. He might fold the letter and put it away, but he couldn't put away the conviction of the spirit of God. And one day, that man got down on his knees and trusted Christ to be his savior. Went on to marry that lady went on to be a godly man in his community. He was a changed man. Why? Because his dad had prayed a bold prayer for his pregnant wife at sea. God bless my wife and my son-to-be. And God answered that prayer 54 years later. That's amazing, isn't it? That man died and went to heaven never knowing that God answered that prayer. But God in his wisdom said, I saw your bold faith at sea. And that matched with my prayer my, for my will for your son. And your son's going to be redeemed. Imagine the reunion that day when that son got to heaven. I share that story with you. Just say, don't be afraid to ask God for big things. But always be wise enough to throw in your great prayer for God. Lord, but it may it be your will. Because I don't demand anything from you. 
You ready to pray that? Lord, not my will, but your will. That should be your prayer life. May God bless you greatly as you pray great things. May he show you things that drop your jaw to show you how great he is. And there indeed is power in the prayer of one righteous person. Let's pray. God, we avail ourselves of how great you are. The things that you do sometimes uh, awe us and, and uh, shock us. When you answer our prayers in profound ways, we are humbled, we are blessed, we sense your greatness. And for those things that you don't answer, may we be like the captain at sea, just trusting that your will will be fulfilled in due time. Even if we don't see it, you still know that prayer and answer it according to your great will. Might we be the kind of saints that pray with great faith, looking for a great God to do great things. In Christ's name, amen.